So if the question is, someone asked me what was my ideal day off, then it would involve a lie-in, some breakfast in bed, um, maybe a hot stones massage. I'd go to an outside swimming pool on a lovely sunny day, obviously. Um, there'd be no kids involved. I've got two children. I'd quite happily have a day without them. Some nice food, a film. Um, but an enforced day off, that's like a different question. So um, I, I work for G2. Christian's my boss. If Christian phoned me tomorrow morning and said, you're not allowed to come in today... Would I do those things? Probably not. I'd probably catch up on all the jobs that need doing in the house. Um, and then maybe I'd let myself do a bit of art at the end of the day as a treat. I don't know about you, but rest days are hard to come by. So my um, Monday to Friday, my day starts at six o'clock when I get up and shower, get ready for the day. I usually go downstairs before the kids are awake, um, make... Uh, make their pack-ups, I empty the dishwasher, then they come down, make breakfast, clear up, help them with their homework. I take them to school, I walk the dog, then I cycle into work, work for the day, cycle home, get to school, get one kid, because the other one's got a club, get home, start on dinner, get back to school, get the other kid, get home again, carry on making dinner, eat dinner, clear up dinner, then do something that would engage the children in an activity that doesn't involve a screen, um, and then we start on the bedtime routine. And quite often it's 8pm before I sit down and crash in front of the TV. And it, I've been on the go for 14 hours. And by that point, I'm too tired to chat or do anything else. I have got a husband who helps with all of that, by the way. <laughs> He's not just like lying in bed doing nothing. <laughs> when the weekend comes around, often we either crash out completely or we catch up, catch up with friends, catch up on jobs, catch up on all the things that we haven't done. Now, we're not all in the same life stage, but I wonder how many of us feel that life just never stops. How many of us are on the go constantly, doing one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and we just keep going until we're absolutely exhausted, and then we have to stop. And as I look around at all sorts of different people that I know, ranging from parents at school, students, young adults in their first few years of work, one thing I notice is this theme of busy, of full. It's become the new normal to say, you know, if someone says, um, how's your week been? You're like, yeah, yeah, good, busy, but good. Or how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, good, tired. I'm tired, but it's good. That's our new normal now. And whatever life stage you're in, or whatever your circumstance is, maybe you feel like that's just how it is. There isn't another way. Maybe you're at uni. I remember being at uni many, many years ago, and it was non-stop going from lectures to events in my halls of residence, sports clubs, nights out, visits home. And then after uni, I was a full-time teacher, uh, and I was also on leadership here at G2, so it was going from school to G2 meetings to marking to prepping for the next day at school, juggling marriage um, and social life and seeing family who live far away meant a busy and full life. We can sometimes feel like we are passengers in our own lives. And I wonder if this is the life that God designed us for us, or maybe we could do things differently. Adam talked last week about developing a rule of life. And if you haven't listened to that, if you weren't here, then I really recommend listening to that online. It's a really helpful 
tool to overcome the pressure to fill our diaries and rush around. And I think rest is a crucial part of this rule for life. Not rest that involves collapsing on the sofa in exhaustion, but rest that restores us more deeply, more spiritually, as well as physically. I wonder if it's possible to step back from feeling like life is running away from us and start living differently. So the idea of rest is first seen in creation. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then the next time we see it is in the Ten Commandments, given to Moses by God as the Israelites escaped Egypt. And the commandments on face value read as a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts. Don't have any other gods, don't murder, don't steal, have a holy day. But there's a story behind the Ten Commandments. They're not rules to restrict, but they're a guideline on how to be fully human. You see, the Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years, so many generations of slaves that they'd lost their identity completely. They'd lost their traditions, their way of life. As slaves, they didn't get to choose how to live. They worked and they worked and they worked. They built huge shrines to the multiple gods and goddesses that the Egyptians believed in. And the Egyptians' lifestyle was one of promiscuity and seeking after treasure. The Israelites had also lived through the Pharaoh, ordering the killing of the firstborn son in every family. So they had experienced loss and trauma and murder. And crucially for our topic today, they had never in their lives had a day of rest. They hadn't had a day off, a day to chill out, a day to catch up on housework or to read a book. They hadn't done any of that. And God, through Moses, set them free from this oppression. And what a reason to celebrate, yes. But three months later... I wonder if the celebration had died down and the Israelite people were left wondering what to do now. Because all of their lives and all of their parents' lives and all of their grandparents' lives, they had been told what to do, where to go, how to be. And now they were out in the wilderness, literally. Thousands of people unsure of what it meant to be free. Would they imitate the Egyptians and develop a whole culture like theirs or would they find a different way? And that's when Moses, that, sorry, that's when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Three months after being set free, God came to Mount Sinai as a cloud of smoke for all the Israelites to see. And he called Moses to go up the mountain with Aaron, and he gave them these Ten Commandments. And so if we look at these as a list of rules, then you don't get to see the heart in which they were given and received for freedom, to be fully human, having a Sabbath day, the holy day where we don't work is just as important as not killing or stealing. And I'd love to take time to go through each of these commandments and unpack why each one was given by God, but we don't have time today, and also some of them are fairly obvious. So the heart behind the commandments, and particularly this idea of Sabbath, can be seen in Deuteronomy 6. And if you've got your Bible, I know Hugh requested that people brought Bibles there. If we've got a Bible app on your phone, now would be a good time to look at Deuteronomy 6. And this is the speech that Moses gave before he died. 
So it's more at the end of his life. So Moses is talking. You all found Deuteronomy 6, yeah. So he's talking about the commandments, and then he says that they are given. So if you look straight to verse 2. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. And then he says some other things about milk and honey and having a good life. And so if you go straight to verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, I used to be a teacher and I'm a mum, so I know that if you say the same thing to children over and over again, they tune out pretty quickly. So I'm not sure that Moses literally meant to say the same thing over and over again, or to tie them onto your hands or tattoo them onto your forehead. But he means to make this a part of our whole lives, every bit of their lives. They're not rules, but these are the heart of God. And then he says a little bit more to remind people what the commandments are and how God works. And then if you look at verse 20, it says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, and the laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. Moses was telling his people the importance of telling their children the stories of their history, the stories of slavery and of freedom, and the stories of how God tells us to live and what it's actually like for us. And I think this could mean our actual children, for those of us who are parents, or for those of us who will one day be parents. But it's not just for families, it's for the whole community. It's about passing on our faith and our history, about sharing our stories with one another for encouragement and for hope. And the idea of passing these stories on, of sharing our faith, um, also means passing down other stories, stories of Jesus, stories of Jonah, stories of Noah and John the Baptist, but also stories from our own walks, our own stories of faith. Okay, but that story of Moses, which starts in Exodus and then is in Deuteronomy, that's like way, way, way before Jesus. So is that still relevant today? That's like the old covenant, and then Jesus brought a new covenant, a new way of doing things. But if we look at Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, Hebrews 4 has a whole section on the Sabbath. And the writer says that in the time of Moses and Joshua, Rest was what people were commanded to do, but also what they were promised. They were promised this land of milk and honey, and their continual sin meant that they were in the wilderness for 40 years, but it also meant they never reached that promise. God said they would never 
fully find rest. In Hebrews 4, verse 6, it says, those earlier ones never did get to the place of rest because they were disobedient. God keeps renewing the promise and setting the date as today. And in verse 8, it says, so this is still a live promise. The promise of rest is renewed for us every day because it was made new through Jesus. You see, the story of the Israelites being brought out of freedom and into a new way of life is parallel to what Jesus has done for us. We might not be actual slaves, but we certainly can become slaves to study, slaves to work, slaves to the expectations on us. We're on this treadmill and we don't know how to get off. Jesus came so that we could have life to the full. Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus came to bring a new covenant, a new promise, a new way of living. And we no longer need to be slaves to the things that we have been slaves to, but instead we are set free like the Israelites. And we have this daily promise of rest in Jesus. Here is a photo of my youngest son, Aaron, when he was about two. He's about seven now. And here's a very short video of him on a less good day. I'm so sorry. And so Aaron was having some sort of meltdown on that day. I can't totally remember what it was about, but it was usually around something like he wanted to eat toilet roll, I wouldn't let him. Something really important. And on this particular day, he just wouldn't let it go. You might have heard that of the terrible twos. This is what it looks like all the time. And on, so on this day, he would go through this cycle of screaming like that in my face. Somehow I remained calm and didn't get cross with him and just held him when he needed to be held. So he'd scream at me, then he'd get very, very tired. He'd kind of come for a cuddle, remember that he was really angry with me, scream again, do that for about five minutes, get really tired, come for a cuddle, and we'd go over and over and over again like this. And I'm not joking, it lasted longer than an hour of doing that. And then eventually he came to me for a cuddle, and slowly he sank into me, and his eyes closed, and he fell into this deep, deep sleep. And for me, this is like a metaphor of our everyday life. As we wrestle with life, and we scream, and we shout, and we get cross, or we just kind of struggle through, and then we kind of calm down for a bit, watch a bit of Netflix, chill out for a bit, you know, maybe have an afternoon nap, and then we go again. <laughs> and what we really need is this deep, deep sleep when we fall into Jesus, and when we allow ourselves to be held by him. This is a gospel of rest. This is not a cheeky lie-in or not Netflix, not a takeaway, but this deep, deep rest in our Father. It's a day to remember and a day to reconnect and a day to breathe. And if you're anything like me, then you will have a to-do list at all times, maybe several on the go. Now, I currently have some lovely colour-coordinated to-do lists broken down into all the different projects I'm running and then some house jobs and things for the kids. And it's a never-ending list, isn't it? Because as soon as one thing gets done, then something else is getting added to it. And these things inadvertently become my goals for my week. These are the things I'm going to achieve this week. But what if my goal was rest? 
What if our goal was to ensure each week we had a day of rest among our busy diaries? A day to slow down, a day to breathe, a day to rest in Jesus. A day to remember, a day to reconnect and find peace. A day to share faith with others, encourage and remember together. Now there's no one way of doing a Sabbath day. Gospel rest looks different for everyone. In my house, Saturday is our Sabbath day. Sometimes we have pyjama days, and sometimes we go out for the day. Sometimes we spend time with other people, and sometimes we just hibernate together as a family. Sometimes I need space away from my family in order to rest, and I might go out and do something on my own. It will look different in all of us. We're all in different life stages, and in different seasons, it'll look different. Someone said to me last week that they're not very good at doing their Sabbath because they just fill it up with different things. But then they told me that they'd spent their uh, Saturday having coffee with someone, reading a book in a library. Then they went to someone's house for tea and they played games. And I thought, that sounds like a great Sabbath. It's not about being like a whole day of praying, but it's a whole day of connection and peace and remembering. Now, maybe you feel like your busy life is circumstantial. Maybe you're a student and this is just what student life is like and there's nothing you can do about it. Or maybe you're working full time and you think, you know what, it'll get better when I get a different job or it'll get better when I retire or it'll get better when I've got kids. It doesn't. Um, Let me assure you, I'm heading towards 40 and it doesn't get any better. Life doesn't just change and suddenly it's a bit easier. It's not your circumstance that means you're busy. This isn't out of our control. Whatever life stage you're in, you can respond to this by creating space for a rule of life that includes a Sabbath. A student today just told me that they have created space in their week and they have a Sabbath. And she said her other six days are so much more productive because on that one day she knows she can totally switch off. This is a commandment. This is something that we should do, but it's also a promise that you can have. And we've got to put the work in. You've got to put it in your diary. You've got to prioritize it and commit to it if you really want to do it. But there is a reward. There is this rest in Jesus. And so one thing we found really helpful as a family is to mark the start of the Sabbath. So I used to run cross-country competitively when I was a child, and I learned that that first bit of the race is absolutely vital in terms of setting the pace. If you run 10Ks, then you'll know that that first kilometre is really, really important, because if you shoot off too fast, then you're going to burn out before the end. But if you go too slow, then you're not going to set your pace and get a good time. And I think it's like that with Sabbath. If we really want to kind of change gear and slow down, if we really want to have a day where we don't think about work or study and a day where we can really focus in on God, then you need to mark it and do something that helps you to slow down. So in our house, we mark the Sabbath on a Friday night. I spend most of my Friday cleaning, washing, I bake fresh bread. I cook a roast chicken and I kind of prepare the house because then I know I will rest well on a Saturday if everything's been done on a Friday. The kids come home from school and we have screen-free Friday, so we usually do some baking together, preparing, ready for Sabbath to start. 
and then we sit down together. Sometimes we have other people join us, or sometimes it's just us, and we start by pausing. We break the bread that I've made, and we pass around the grape juice, and then we remember. We ask each other, what can you remember about God? And sometimes it's something that's happened this week. Sometimes it'll be a story from the Bible. One of the children will remember David and Goliath and tell us about that. Or we'll remember something that happened from our childhood. Whatever comes up, we just ask, what do you remember? And then we play games together and we have fun together and we just enjoy each other's company and we don't rush for that evening. <laughs> 